Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Jake, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you, Randy? Well, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Um, I, I have a bit of a problem, and uh, I, I think I need to see a jam doctor. Jam doctor? Oh, goodness. What's the problem? Well, I'm, I'm kind of losing my desire to go jam. And, you know, as you can imagine, that's quite a problem. I'm just kind of going out to the gym and going through the motions and, uh, you know, not really exploring any of the nooks and crannies that I usually like to to do to keep the inspiration going. And I can say I'm just kind of going through the motions. It's just a grind. And so help me, jam doctor. What 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 advice do you have for me? So I get to be the jam doctor, huh? Okay, let's see what I can do. (laughs) Well, I could imagine how jamming in the same group with the same music at the same place uh eventually it might come harder to find something new without having some new external stimulation and i also know without all the tournaments that are usually going on you know you're not traveling as much to see new people and get that external inspiration so maybe the solution is that you need to go find a new jam scene some new people to play with and see if they can inspire you uh, in fact, here we've got a new jammer kind of infused into our regular jam scene. Dino Matsumoto has decided that he needs to rekindle his jamming, and we've set up a regular Saturday morning jam. The last four Saturdays, the wind has been so good. We've been really fortunate with the wind because that's not always the case. But even with that, we started off, we're jamming, we're having fun, and we've improved every single jam. And this last jam was just so much fun. Like we were doing, I was doing triple spins. Lori was catching guidances. Dino was doing uh, his turnover scarecrow. It was just, we're, we're all very inspired is really what I'm trying to say. So maybe it really is just infusing some new blood into the scene. Wow, that really is some good advice and some insight because uh, I really have been just playing with the same people over and over for like the last, you know, almost two years because of COVID. And like you say, there's been no no stimulus or stimulation coming from tournaments happening or maybe also just taking a little bit of time off might help me recharge my batteries. You know, the other thing is that I actually am going to get to see you in a couple months. I know that's two months away, but at least I have that to look forward to. We're very much looking forward to that, too. I hope that Dino is still a part of the scene because it'll be really great to have four of us figuring out what kind of random, spontaneous, crazy stuff we can come up with. It's going to be a friggin' awesome. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, thank you, Jam Doctor. And uh, with that, why don't we get into today's episode? We are going to continue our conversation with Sue Strait, and she's going to talk about the role and impact she had on introducing dance to freestyle. Enjoy. During that time when you were really coming on the scene, that you kind of led that kind of movement towards dance, and Donnie Rhodes grabbed on to that, and like yeah. I say, Alan Elliott, and it seemed like a lot of people really went aggressively at the movement side, but it seemed like you kind of led that. Is that is that a true statement? Well, because I introduced leg warmers to everybody. Style wow. points, man. Come on. Really? You were the leg warmer introducer? I, like, I, I wear leg warmers still to this day. Yeah. If I go on a bike ride, it's cold. I pull my leg warmers out. I have like five pairs still. Don't, you know, don't even get me going. Leg warmers are great. And then I used to, I sewed all our shorts. I used to make these wrap shorts 
for me and Jane. So we always had like little different, more little funkier look. She used to wear wrap pants and I looked at them. I was like, oh, I could make us really cute shorts and different match all our leotards. And, you know, and then we, you know, always wore leotards. And because my hair is in the way always, I always put it in a bun because that's how I've always got my hair out of the way. You know, I wasn't consciously trying to look like a dancer. It was, I was a dancer and I was playing Frisbee. Well, you're bringing this dance experience to the game and, you know, you're doing the technical part and you're focused on the movement. So are you thinking about choreography and and how the music is tied into that? Or is that kind of a a secondary? You know, it's it's something I wish I'd thought about more. Um, I think that's not something that we did as much as I wish we had. You know, when you go back and you look at how you played, you know, if I'd continued playing longer, if I'd had more variable partners, you know, there might have been some different things. But I I think with the amount of choreography stuff I'd done in dance that I was, in retrospect, disappointed that I had, didn't introduce more because I see people play now that have that style and I see things I wish they would do you know, which I could have done, but I never did. So I don't think I did enough of that because there wasn't really, you did, you started with some co-ops, you did your halfway co-ops, you did your end of the routine co-ops. It was like, that was the standard formula. And we didn't go out of that really. You know, we do the quick catch stuff because everybody used to be able to do that stuff. You know, we really never left that venue and I wish we had more. You know, it wasn't really till the Colorado started getting into this more, you know, having everything flow in that way. And one of the other things I think I regret is that I spent so much time playing with Jane and I never had a consistent mix partner that I never got to develop a really nice mix routine. It was like, you know, who wants to play mix at the next one? And I play with Donnie or Joey or whoever, Alan. But it was more of a afterthought. No one really took mix very seriously, and it would have been such a nice venue to have explored a lot of different stuff. You know, high insight. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I thinking back about how people put together routines back then and the structure of it was just like here's co-op A's and here's co-op B and co-op C, the beginning section, the middle section, the end, and then you had some indies, and that was it. Yeah. And so I never really thought about the Coloradicals, how they really kind of came in and changed that dynamic and kind of turned it on its head a little bit. I mean, uh, the B bros also had some really great sort of yeah. connection oh, yeah. to the music. They um, well, I also think really... part of it was, you know, we were dealing with mixed tapes, right? You handed your tape in. So no one was cutting tapes. You know, the idea of changing music in a routine came with technology, to make that easier. But that was a limiting factor as well, which I don't think people get so much because you kind of had to find a song that had different, you know, within your three or five minutes, the song had to be within what you wanted, which limited your musical taste as opposed to, you know, being able to mix and cut things together. Well, you know, the music choice that you and Jane did for the Rose Bowl, the Yes, All Good People, was pretty iconic. So who got to choose that song? And that is a question that actually Char Powell wants to know. That was Jane. I didn't really listen to. I mean, I remember I went my first Yes concert I went to was in 77 because I actually still have my concert T-shirt. It's like this big. (laughs) 
I have a box that I found recently, and I'm like, look at these cute baby clothes. Oh, it's a concert T-shirt. But um, I have some very, very small shorts. Anyway, Jane was pretty much in the music picker. Um, my musical taste was a little different. You know, we, we, you know, we never really played to, you know, hot tuna and stuff like that. But um, my musical taste was a little bit more mellow. And a lot of what I listened to even then was classical music. So that really wasn't part of the scene at that point to have that kind of broad music in it. So did you and Jane continue to play after 79? Did you guys, you guys pretty much stayed partners together. It seems like we and didn't really venture away. Until she stopped playing. So we played 79, 80, 81, 82 is the summer. I didn't compete because I was in Denmark and Norway with Richie Bartles doing a tour for the whole summer. So I missed the season. And when I came back, 83 so i graduated from college in 84 i played with you know i played with bronwyn some and pal sisters but i never really connected with somebody to play with in the in the same way so it's i kind of lost my my you know i still was playing but i didn't have i didn't have a partner and i you know i i was used to having a partner that it just happened we played very well together because it just happened, right. you know, and we both were pretty, um, we didn't drop much, you know, that was something that we were pretty good at. We were conservative to a point, you know, in competing and, you know, had our things together, but I just didn't find that connection with somebody else. So it was hard to keep competing. Well, I was going to ask you, so you played with her for three years, it sounds like. How much did yeah. your your routine and choreography change over those three years? Um, it always changed because we've never used the same routines because that's not cool. But my first move was always the same. Every time I've ever competed here to a pull, to a back pull, to a flamingo, because that was one of our things. We both had a move that we started with that we've never dropped in our lives. So as you didn't drop your first one, you weren't going to drop anything. I also chain smoked at that point, and I would smoke up until the first throw on the field, which is just horrendous <laughs> in retrospect, because I would be really nervous. I'd get a cigarette, and I'd be waiting, and people would be abusing me for smoking, and then you know, the music would start, and I'd like throw my cigarette butt on the ground, smoosh it in, never pick it up, littered everywhere. You know, just terrible habits, but wow. <laughs> that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you is like, what was your frame of mind before going out there? And I think you kind of just painted that picture a little <laughs> bit of just chain smoking, nervous beyond everything. And just like, OK, but I got my first move. I got I my I'm first move, but I'm not going to drop it. And, you know, I mean, you know, when there was wind, it was harder because neither one of us were good wind players. I mean, if I had a choice in my life for playing I'd play on concrete. Mm. I love playing on it. It destroys discs, but concrete's so great. Interesting. Gyms are almost as good, but if you drop it, it makes a bigger sound and slides further, so it's more humiliating. So concrete keeps it there. It's better. <laughs> that may be the first time anybody has said they prefer concrete over any other <laughs> any other playing yeah, surface. I so. Like, yeah. I love concrete. Banjo is great. Washington Square Park is great. Why would you? You know, I've been places where people want to play and we'll find like a basketball court with grass on the other side so I can have the basketball court and they can be in the grass. <laughs> you know, I'm flexible. Just give me uh, concrete, especially with my knees now. I 
grass scares me. It's like uneven and horrible. So your partnership started and it sounds like you were forced together and it sounds like uh, Jane was more of the senior. So I was just curious how much of your voice went into the choreography and did that change over time over the three years you played together? I think her voice was always stronger, but it was always stronger about different types of things. You know, the concept of you do three co-ops. This is the kind of music you play to, even if it isn't your favorite, you know, like that Yes song was perfect for us to play to, but it was neither one of ours favorite song. It just was right for us. And that kind of stuff, I think she really sensed more. I think the co-ops and how we moved within them was very partnership oriented. It was very, you know, and we both really knew what we could do and what looked good on us and what was, you know, you know, I could delay behind my back for a half an hour if I needed to. That was just easy. Basically, I had no waste. It was easy. It was like holding your hand here. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so we, you know, we knew what was what we could do that was hard that we never dropped. You know, things like behind the back hold. You don't drop one. Right. right. But it's a hard move. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I could take an elbow delay off the off a throw if she threw it right. And she knew how to throw it. So I could do that. OK, so then my my next question is about the other uh, women's competition. So who are your biggest rivals? Well, when we started playing, it was basically Lauren Rose. And when you say Lauren Rose, it's Laura Angle and G Rose. Yes, yes. So they were sort of the top women's players before us. Um, there was other women who played, but they were more overall people that also freestyled. But I would say they were, you know, and obviously Laura was on the disc because she she was on with Cray, you know, back when they were signed because she did overall. But her thing was freestyle. I mean, that was her... Here's a funny backstory. So when I was like, oh, sixth grade and seventh grade, I volunteered at a day camp and she was one of the counselors at the day camp. And she never realized I was that person, but she used to like make fun of me and tease me about things anyway. And then all of a sudden I go to California and I'm playing Frisbee against her. I'm like, she was that mean big kid at the camp. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, you got to get your revenge, and, and I you did. beat them at the '79 Rose Bowl. So it was so. fun. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I don't. And she never. I never said it to anybody, probably at the time, because it was like you know, yeah. early embarrassment because of it. You know, you wouldn't really repeat that, but it was in my brain. So well, when you're you're that age, you do things sometimes that you regret quite a bit. When it comes yes, to exactly. teasing yeah. people, right? So. I, I, I don't call someone for their activity or you know, their actions at any point. But so there was women who played, but there wasn't there weren't many. So when did Kate Dow and Connie Bond and like Carolyn Yabe and Stacy They started and, showing up like in eighty, I'd say. Eighty one. You know, I know we lost to both of them at some point. Or I've lost them. So I, I, I don't really remember what I won or lost or anything. I don't have it written down or something. And, but um, I would have loved to have played with Carolyn because I think our styles would have been great. I would have really enjoyed that. I think we could have done really cool Frisbee shit together. Yeah, that would be a great pair for sure. Yeah, I, I, But, you know, I had my person. She had hers. And it was kind of like clicky and small groupy and... There weren't that many women, so I kind of hung out with my, like, New York people who I felt safe and comfortable with, and everyone else scared me, so, you know. 
So was there good relations with people back then or were you guys kind of kind of like not friendly or like how what was that competition vibe like? Well, I think it was weird because it was very since there were so few women, it was dominated sort of the the clicky coast things and all the different groups were dominated by the male players. And we kind of got sucked into it because, you know, that's who we're traveling with. That's who we're playing with. That's who we know, like our tight our people. So there, there definitely was some, you know, clicky things. And that started going away more like, you know, a bunch of people from New York moved to California. So the styles and the people started knowing each other more. So I think that stuff started breaking down as the players started migrating more because it wasn't like, oh, you're from New York and you're from California. And that was like two isolated elements of the world. Well, I was so young back in those days, as we all were, right? But I was even more isolated, and you people scared me. I was like, I don't know. I was in the middle of, like, living, you know, traveling with Joey and Richie and Donnie, and everyone scared me. (laughs) That's like we were all scared. Everyone scared me. They were like, you know, people like, well, you just were like, you know, kind of like, didn't talk to me. And I'm like, everybody scared me. I was intimidated by everything. God, it's so funny how we interpret things, you know, because I was that not a you- snob. I just was scared to death. Right, right. It was like a whole different lifestyle. Also, you know, all right, here's a story. You're 17. You're on the road for the first time. You go to a tournament. After the tournament, what does everybody do? Goes to a party. Where's the party? At hot tubs. Hello. That's scary. That was weird. I never got invited to those parties. I just want you to know. <laughs> I did. (laughs) And they were scary. And gave you a different perspective on all the players, let me tell you. Wow. You know, and something that, you know, repeatedly comes up sort of is that because of the lack of competition, the women's, there wasn't this push for all the things that I know I could have done or we could have done as partners. So it's kind of, you know, but that's, you know, retrospective only. Yeah. You look back and you see how much you left on the table. I'm like, oh, yeah. shit, I could have gone there. Yeah, Yeah. now touching my toes hurt. So you mentioned Donnie Rhodes, and uh, I know that you spent a lot of time playing with him and hanging out with him. So I just wanted to, to circle back to that and uh, ask you how you guys met and how your relationship developed. Well, I can't, you know, obviously, because it's a long time ago. I don't remember, like, the day I met Donnie. But I spent a lot of time with Donnie during those years, basically, because... You know, we traveled around as Jane's partner. I traveled around with Jane and Joey in their van. And once Donnie started playing with Joey, you know, so Jane and Joey were driving and it was me, Donnie, and normally one or two other people. They had a bed in the back and we just kind of hung out there. And so, you know, hours of being a passenger in the car, you get to know somebody. Um, Because, you know, we were driving all over the country. That's all we did was go from tournament to tournament all summer. Um, We spent a lot of time together, played together, talked a lot. You know, his background, his motivation, his drive was really impressive. There's a lot of people that played hard, but he thought about how he played. He thought about how he he was more introspective than most people were at that point. Because most people are like, you know, let's get stoned and jam. And that was not his. He had a different level of intensity. This was his thing. This was his desire. He was not a party person. He wasn't really in it to be part of a group or make friends or whatever. He was in it to produce 
himself as a, you know, a freestyle expert and he worked his ass off and it shows because he's an amazing player. Yeah. Well, he really went from, you know, being kind of an ordinary player to a beyond extraordinary player. And you were kind of right there watching all of that happen. And I remember talking with him and him talking about going to New York City for the first time and you kind of exposing him to, hey, you should really explore dance. Once he started dancing, he was so natural at dance and took to it so well. And I think found himself in a way that he'd never found himself. I mean, he was from a small Appalachian town in Pennsylvania, you know, coal mining town, very much like where I live now, unfortunately. And, you know, never fit in where he was. And I think finding expression through freestyle and through dancing was really his outlet for self-expression that just was his place. So it was beautiful to see him do that. And, you know, he was playing a lot when he was in the city. Um, when he moved to New York, he was, you know, playing a lot, especially with and hanging out with Jeff Felberbound a lot. And Jeff's body type was not quite, you know, as dance oriented as, you know, I think both Donnie and Alan Elliott had the bodies for dancers. You know, that makes a huge difference. But Jeff had so much background in martial arts that he had a certain amount of body control that is like a dancer that you can look crazy but you're still in control at every second that was really unique so they played a lot which i think helped donnie develop yeah i mean they the three of them ended up creating quite the co-op team and obviously winning the rose bowl and you were there during that time as well so i know you traveled around like i think the summer of 81 in a van with those three guys so what was what was that like was that just as crazy as Joey's van or was it different or similar? It was more of Joey's van. I just, I think it was more intense because as it got, you know, as things got more competitive, like 79 was easier. There was less people. There was this sort of transition, the original players, the Kerry Comars, you know, that kind of were the quick catch, tipping, delay. And then you had this explosion that I think started around 79 and in, in how I see it in how people performed. There's people who didn't sort of catch that wave. And then there's those that did catch that wave. And as that wave caught more and more people started playing at that upper level. So by 81, it was really pretty intense. So the competition intensity was certainly growing. So there was a lot more, you know, angst, you know, people were doing this full time. That's what they did. So could you feel that intensity while you were traveling around oh, in the yeah. van? Oh, and yeah. what did that what did that look like? What do you mean? Tempers, arguments, making up, you know, all the things. It's like living with a weird you know, you're in a van with five people every day. It and a dog, right? It's crowded, it's smelly. So would people like a result at a tournament wouldn't go the way that they wanted it to? And so would that just like sparks would fly on the, to the next tournament or something? Oh, yeah, to some degree, because this was, you know, this was not recreational at this point. It was pretty intense. We saw freestyle as something that was growing so fast that it was going to grow forever. You know, when we were going to be right. in the Olympics and it was going to, you know, it was just going to take over the world. So interesting to go from that kind of free love and, hey, we're traveling to Venice. Then it got really intense. 
Yeah. And then so that whole it started growing and more people started getting involved and stakes got higher. And there was money. There was purses. You know, it wasn't a ton, you know, and getting the Rose Bowl was a big deal. You got paid. They sent you a plane ticket. You got to stay in the dorms. It was you were fed. There was food fights. There was parties. There was weird stuff going on. Lots of stuff going on. The stakes were higher. Yeah. And it's so interesting to see how it all kind of changed. And I don't know how long that went on. Like intensity was there. It did start to fade. Like Jake, by the time you got in like 96, this probably seems like lifetimes ago that we're talking about, but that energy was certainly not there when you came on to the sport. So Jake, is that true? Was the intensity level a little bit different when you came into the sport? Uh, Yeah, well, I would say I think it was because I never experienced that super high intensity. Um, I never felt like people were trying to hide their moves from me or, you know, were not happy when I did well. It was actually, it was a lot more like the Jamily experience that we talk about now where uh, people were very supportive of me coming up as a player and of each other. You know, we were all rooting each other on when we go to tournaments. In fact, I do remember one experience um, with Dave Schiller um, in 1999 Worlds. It was the first year that I had made the finals was with Matt and Scott Weaver. And it just so happened that we beat out his co-op team, which is crazy. And our, our minds were like, what? That doesn't even make sense. He's so good, right? And afterwards, he came up, and he was really congratulatory, and then he even taught me a new move right there. He taught me the juice shoot. I was like, what is this one thing you were doing? And he just showed it to me. So that, to me, demonstrates how the intensity level, even though people want to win, they're still really they're still really cooperative and friendly. Yeah. Well, I think probably, you know, 96 is when you got into the sport, you know, the idea of like trying to make a living and uh, going after big purses and prize money that wasn't really there. So I think you add that into it and that's what kind of ratchets up the intensity and loses more of the, the family aspect to it. So I'm really glad you didn't experience that because it doesn't sound like much fun, does it? <laughs> it does not sound like much fun. I'm, I sometimes question whether I would have stuck with the sport had it been that intense. I probably would have just because I love it so much, but you never know. I may not have quite fallen in love the same way. Yeah. And, you know, that's that whole thing of, you know, we've talked about prize money. You know, I think prize money would change it dramatically from what it is. And I'm not sure I'm down with that anymore after, you know, having some time to reflect and really think about what kind of changes it would bring. Mm-hmm. It's funny how doing this podcast has caused both of us to really rethink some of our uh, perspectives on the sport. And uh, I don't know, I feel like my perspective has changed a lot too. I kind of like it the way it is. And I don't know, I'm not against prize money, but at the same time, I like the sport the way it is and the family aspect. I would hate to lose that. Yeah, I concur. And you know what? If you're enjoying this podcast, remember to like, subscribe, and give us a review. And on that note, Jake, I will talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Haynesville. Shooting the Frisbees and live streaming freestyle Frisbee.